it. Hey, we have a ton to cover today, and I'm not going to treat you like the Pentecostal church that I grew up in and have you in here for four hours, so let's dive right in. And if I was in that church, somebody would have yelled out, take your time. All right? But y'all like, y'all better hurry up, shoot. All right? In fact, this joke taking too long. All right? So hey, listen. Uh, as we replant in many ways as a church, what we're doing throughout this uh, series and throughout this year really is looking at different distinctives and, I mean, who is the well and what is God calling us to be and how do we move forward and what does it mean to be a people on mission with God? And so we're jumping into a new series today on generosity called Generous Worship. And it's this idea that we could be generous in our worship to God in many different ways, but we'll be focusing on a couple of different ways at large. Our mission at the well is to make much of Jesus by reproducing disciples to impact the world for the glory of God. Or kind of broken down, we say exalt disciple send. That's who we are as a church. That's what we want to do. We want to exalt and disciple and send. In fact, there's a slide for that, if you could flip over to that. Um, And we believe that generosity is a part of us impacting the world. In fact, underneath this idea of exalt, disciple, and send, we say that we want to serve the church. And our giving is part of the way that we serve the church, that hopefully, as a church, we then impact the world for the glory of God. Disciples, we give what we have to God. We uh, use our lives for his glory, and through that, we actually impact the world, and so our giving is a part of it. Our distinctive within this, underneath this idea of serving the church, it reads this. To serve the church, we say the church is not built on the talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. That's one of our distinctives. That's the thing we hope that you hear a lot, and you can even kind of repeat yourself. Why? Because every person has gifts and talents that if used to serve the church will make an eternal difference. Because of this reality, we don't just do church, but we give our lives to God's plan, believing that generosity is worship. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which are the two chapters we'll be going through throughout this series. We seek to be generous with our time, talents, and treasures that the kingdom of God may be expanded in us and through us. And so we really believe this, family. Like we believe that our generosity is a worship act towards God and it takes every person being generous, the sacrifices of many that we would then see the kingdom impacted in true and in real ways. Now, throughout the years of the well, we focused a lot on our time and our talents, and rightly so. In fact, we'll focus on that again towards the end of this year as a church. The reason that so many of you and I myself have been blessed is because of the sacrifices in many different people in different ways. In fact, as the well celebrated nine years, we went out with a couple of kind of original members, and even though there are now currently just four or five of us left, it was two of the seven are leaving next week. When I look at the amount of people that are here, that's the sacrifices of them that is the fruit of the gospel amongst us. And the same is true of us as well, and praise God for that, right? Like as we uh, build, then the kingdom is actually expanded, and sometimes that fruit takes time to uh, show its fruition, but nonetheless, we can trust that when God's word is delivered, it does not return void, and God's name is made much of, so our sacrifices impact the kingdom of God. 
And we've historically not talked a ton, though, about our treasures or our finances. And there's a few reasons for this. The first reason is that because as a church, we desire to be a place where we see people who do not have a relationship with Jesus find comfort in the well, be able to wrestle with the faith and come to faith in Christ. And because money can be really touchy, it can seem like if we talk about it, we have to yadala and nothing can be further from the truth, y'all. Like we don't need that per se. However, another portion has just been out of fear to talk about it. You see, I personally grew up in a church that abused money and they preached a prosperity gospel and that left a foul taste in my mouth. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks of the dangers and certain thinkings around this topic. But rather than balancing what I had seen growing up, I actually swung the pendulum as Christians and really humans at large are notoriously awful at doing. And I decided rather than balancing to just not talk about it at all. Honestly, though, this was not just an error, it was actually a sin. So I want to begin this series repenting before you and asking for your forgiveness, that we should have been talking about this more as a church. You see, Jesus talks about money more than any other topic. In fact, it is the subject of over half of his parables, and it is one of the most dominant themes throughout the entire scripture Why is that? Well, because very few things actually fight for our affections or our attention or our worship like money does. It promises things that only God himself can give us. You see, money promises joy or peace or happiness or satisfaction. In fact, it promises this sort of soul satisfaction. And the Bible doesn't want us to fall into the trap of worshiping lesser gods that cannot satisfy so it talks about it, and so we're going to talk about it, and then collect four offerings at the end of the gathering today. <laughs> Just kidding, okay? Listen, I want us to understand why this is important. Why does the scripture talk about it? I want us to see how we can stray from idolatry with our money and how we can worship God with it instead. And if you don't think that this is something that you may find idolatry in your heart around, then I would tell you, you don't know your heart very well. Your heart is more idolatrous than you are godly. And so we need to realize that this is a temptation. If the Bible talks about it as much as it does, then it's likely that 99.8% of us struggle with this. And if you're in the 0.2%, then just teach us, brother and sister, all right? And so um, if we're generous, then what we see is that generosity is an act of worship, y'all. It's like an actual worship act to God. However, I want to begin to look at it in a way that I bet most of us have never really thought about before. Now, we were going to do this series in the spring because we were thinking about trying to do a building campaign, and we hired this third-party company called Oxano to help us determine whether or not we'd be able to get into a building. So we took some poll of some givers in our church and did a couple of other things. And they call back like, not only can you not get a building, you like real far off, dog. All right. They were like, but besides that, I would say you're like a top 10 church in America. And I was like, that sounds cool, but you just say we ain't never getting in this, all right? But whatever. 
But as we were talking about, they were like, hey, it'd be good to talk about finances at large and really disciple our people on what it means to be generous with our funds. And I was like, cool. And as we began to talk about the series, they were laying out what they've done for literally hundreds of churches throughout the country. And as they were laying it out, I couldn't help but feel like there was something missing in the way that we were talking about our finances. There was uh, this element that was very biblical and very true, and it's actually what we're going to talk about today, but there were these other elements that were missing that it really felt like there was a focus on the action and a missing of the heart. And so I went outside feeling like God was trying to speak to me. And as I started praying, I feel like he spoke very clearly that he wants us to love him with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. In fact, there's a graphic here that we're going to be focusing on throughout this series, thinking about how do we love God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. Now listen, this can transfer into any area of our discipleship or our following or becoming more like Jesus. And we'll discuss this at the end of the series. We'll actually break from generosity and begin to apply this into other areas as well. But when talking about finances, we tend to only look at one of those measurements. We look at our strength or our obedience and it's like either you give or you don't give. And then the only steps are either you give more or you give less. I think that that's way too simplistic, y'all. It's the law without the heart. You see, Jesus wants us to love him with every part of ourselves and with every area that we can love him and with our possessions or our finances is one of them. He wants the heart, soul, mind, and strength to be engaged. Now, some of us might go, yo, I'm in college. I ain't got a lot of money. We can still love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength in this area, or I'm looking for a job, or, or man, I have all of this, and I, I actually give a lot. No, 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 but do you give with your soul or your mind? Are we engaged holistically no matter where we are? All of us can grow in the midst of this. So we'll be looking at each one of these throughout the series, how we can grow in them, the pitfalls from each strength, because though strength, if over-focused, it can be a shortcoming as well. And we will begin to look at a giving as a church. And what does this mean for us as well? What do we want to do? And we'll have some chances to give into things that we're hopeful for. Like we do want to find a permanent space to meet. And we do want to find a building. And we can give into that. We want to begin to fund minority residencies because we believe that we can train up and send out minorities in a way that 99% of churches cannot because they don't have diversity in the church. Well, we do in our church, and so we can raise that up and send that out, but that takes funds to be able to do that. We'll cover a lot throughout this series, and so I'll tee up a lot of it today. We'll circle in and out of it, and we'll do that throughout the rest of the series. Amen? The longest introduction to a series ever, but here we go. We're zooming in on our strength today. And so what does it mean to be loving God with our strength or our obedience? You see, our strength, it involves our hands or our actions, our obedience. And so the question is, do we do it? We can have the right heart and know the right things to do with our mind. We can believe it in our soul, but do we actually do that? With regards to our finances, how do we love God with our strength or with our obedience? How can we love him more here? 
When the scripture uses the term strength, it always is involving our actions or our hands. For example, Psalm chapter 46 verse one says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so strength is moving him to help in that sense. In fact, throughout the Psalms, God is called the name strength, not as a verb, but as a noun multiple times. Psalm 65, verse six says, the one God who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might. So strength involves action. And so with our heart or our soul or our mind or our strength, we're starting with this one because I believe that many Christians major in the mind, we minor in the heart, we take electives on the soul, but we barely ever employ or apply strength at all. You see, there's not many things that we begin to do. We know the right things to do, and yet we are slack in doing it. Or maybe that's just me in this mug. I know the right things to do, but I am hesitant to do it at times. And so how can we love God? How can we serve the church and impact the world, be disciples of Christ who impact the kingdom in the area of strength? Well, as Brian just read for us, Paul just sort of assumes that the Corinthian church is giving. He understands that this is something that they should be doing as Christians, and so just kind of assumes on their giving. In fact, he says, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, which I grew up in the hood. I have no idea what that word means. So if you, too, are like me, then I will define it for you. If you're the 10% that knew what that word meant, man, blessings to you. You love God with your mind really well, okay? It means unnecessary, all right? It is unnecessary for me to write this about you because you already get it. You already know that you should be giving. Notice throughout this passage, Paul is encouraging their readiness here. He says multiple times that they were ready to give. In fact, Paul wanted to make sure that they were actually giving and says it would be humiliating if they weren't giving. It's just an assumed understanding that they're giving. In fact, one story that I love is a missionary friend of mine went to a church in Africa and he was talking about how uh, his church was and the church was pretty cool in a lot of ways and the pastor just kind of casually asked, hey, about how many of your members give? And he said, ah, I think the number is around 60% and the African pastor gasped and he said, are y'all possessed with demons? And the guy was like, what? And he was like, there are curses to not, like, like, like you said that you had a thriving church. What do you mean? And he realized that though his church was actually above average in America, that a lot of us are rejecting the scriptures in this family. Now, that can be hard to hear and receive, but the scriptures are pretty plain on this. That the church is not built on the talents of the few or on the giving of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. In fact, Paul calls it a ministry in verse 1. Do you see that there? This is why we say generosity is worship. It is a ministry to God and the things that God loves like his church. You see, we tend to only talk about ministry like serving or teaching or something like that. Like, well, Tori's in ministry and I'm just in tech. That's not true, family of God. This is not the only form of ministry. In fact, there are many forms, and giving, according to Paul, is one of the forms of ministry because giving advances God's kingdom and shows God's goodness to the world around us. 
You see, ministry is anything that advances the kingdom of God. And so we can be doing ministry in almost any area of our life, a la our last series about our one place, that is where we can be missionaries because all of us are missionaries of God. You see, treasure or money, it creates the opportunity and the ability to do more ministry and to bless more people, which is why we call it a ministry. In fact, when we think about giving as an obligation, something that we have to do, I believe that it steals our joy. When we think about it as a ministry, something that we get to do, then I believe that it begins to move joy in our hearts. We'll talk about that more next week. But giving is a ministry. And so you can kind of hear it in Paul's tone here, right? There's this underlying principle that the Corinthian church should be giving. Now, next week, we'll focus more on the why of giving, but the what of giving here is important as well. Simply put, we should be doing it. Our obedience or our strength should be active in giving as a Christian. Maybe said more directly, giving is something that the Bible commands, so we should do it. It commands it. So we should do it if we believe and trust in God. In fact, turn with me if you have your physical Bibles back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In Paul's first letter to this church, he also talks about this as well. In beginning of verse 1, he says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so this isn't just Corinth, it's all the churches, so you also are to do. On the first day, Sunday, of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. So once again, Paul just has this understanding. This is something that happens. This is something that Christians do. Why does Paul see it like this? Well, he sees this connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see, followers of God throughout history have given to God because that's what God has called them to do. And because they believed and they trusted in God, they did it. They responded to God's law that he gave to them. For example, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. And so they gave the first fruit. They thought about giving back to God way before they thought about spending it or saving it on themselves. That's convicting for me too. Because it's often one of the last things I think about, not one of the first things that I think about. Why did they think about it like this? Because it, family of God, was an act of worship. It's saying, God, what I have, it has come from you, and so I thank you and I give it back to you as a way to worship you because I realize that every good and perfect gift is from you. And I wanna honor you with that. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 says, a tithe of everything from the land, We should give to God, as verse 29, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. The tithe is holy to the Lord. If you're familiar with this, we'll talk about this more in a second, but it is where the idea of tithing originated from. And it's a theme that actually carries throughout the whole entire Old Testament, and it floats its way into the New Testament as well. We bring to God as an offering, as an act of worship, our finances, proclaiming that he's the one that has given them to us that we might advance the mission and the kingdom of God which as a quick aside, is why it's always talking about giving to the temple in the Old Testament.
Testament or to the church in the New Testament. Because giving not just is an act of, uh, is an act of worship, but it's a way by which God advances the kingdom of God through the means by which he wants to advance it, which was the temple of God or the church of God, depending on the context. And so obviously we give to other things as well. For example, we see giving to the poor done throughout the scriptures, but the primary way of giving was actually to the church because the church should be the ones that are able to do more than any individual can do by themselves. The church is also the one that proclaims the gospel, which is the only thing that matters at the end of the day. Our physical bodies will pass away, but our souls will live forever. And so we see this throughout this. Paul assumes on the biblical principle, assumes giving, and then commands for it. You see, he sees the Old Testament and he realizes that this also applies in the New Testament as well. And so our finances are a part of the way that we love the Lord our God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and today, particularly with our strength. And how do we do it with our strength? We give. We just, we give, that's, that's what we do. Now the question usually then becomes, well how much, right? How, how much do I have to give? And I will answer that question, but I wanna start off with saying that's the wrong question, okay? We do not have to give, we get to give. There's a very big difference between the two. Giving is a ministry, so if that's the question on your heart, I want you to know your heart is already commanding you to commit idolatry. It is commanding you to see that something that cannot satisfy is more important than the ministry that God has called us to. And so already we can fill our hearts. How much do I have to? If we're beginning there, it is a disadvantage to the worship of our God. It'd be like me saying, yo, how many times do I have to tell my wife that I love her? Right? Like, I mean, principles of frequency are awesome. So we could talk about that. Like, yo, you shouldn't just say it on the wedding day. Like, say it at least once a day, dog, right? Like, that's a good principle. But if my heart is already starting there, especially if I'm saying it in front of her, how wounding is that? When your heart says it, God sees your heart. You're saying it in front of God. We're already missing the point. Or it's kind of like in high school. If you were in church in high school and they was like, you shouldn't have sex before marriage, And he was like, cool, but how far is too far? Wrong question, right? You're like, hey, what's the most that I could do before I cross that line? That's the wrong motivation, right? I mean, just say it. Is you trying to get somewhere with somebody and low-key still be following God at the same time? That's what it's doing, right? But Jesus says, you've already committed adultery in your heart because you desire that guy or that girl more than following the way that I have told you is life. You see, you'd rather be grinding than be godly. I mean, can we keep it real? Can we keep it real in this mug? Ain't that true? And so in our giving, we would rather be stingy than sacrificial. We do the same thing. Or maybe I'm just talking about my bank account. Maybe I'm just trying to convict myself up here. Look, I'm not laying empty conviction on y'all. I'm telling you, this is how my heart feels as well. Like, what can I keep, not what can I give? I'm asking the wrong question because my heart is falling into the lie that money is more important than God. Well, when we see this as an act of worship, it completely flips on its head. And the question does not become, how little do I have to give to God? But it's how can I worship and honor God in my giving? Y'all tracking with me? 
As humans, though, because we do struggle with barriers, the tithe, or 10%, was the standard, was the baseline that God originally established. Now, we can debate whether or not there are multiple tithes and the particulars into that. We can debate whether it's 10% or 22% or, or we can debate whether or not we think we should be giving more as New Testament people who have seen the fullness of the gospel, but it's probably a pretty good baseline. It's a standard to measure if you are following God with your strength in regards to your finances. Now, the pitfalls here work on both sides of the coin. You see, on one side, we can give 10%, and we can become robotic and dishonor God in our giving. In fact, if we go to the tool again, you see at the bottom there are potential pitfalls. You see, when we give 10%, the temptation is to become pretty robotic and move out of habit or obligation rather than out of worship to God. And when we do that, what tends to happen is in our robotic nature, we think we are following the law, and so we give 10%, and then we say, I'm doing what God has called me to do, and we find our righteousness in that rather than our righteousness in Christ. There's a pitfall on just being robotic in our giving. God does not want this, nor do we. On the other side, we could say, well, God knows my heart. And we could give 1.2% and then be missing the simple blessings of obedience and that this is a way to love, honor, and worship God. You see, we can use liberty to not give or we can use the law to find our righteousness in giving and we can miss on both sides of the coin why God commanded us to give in the first place. When we see money not as a test or even as a temptation, but when we see it as a tool that could be used by God and toward God's kingdom, then family of God, you will never be afraid of the allure of money, you will never be enticed to the worship of money, and you will never be afraid of the dangers of it. Money just becomes that, a tool. A tool by which we can worship and honor God like all other things on this earth. It does not all of a sudden sit on the throne of our hearts, it is just a tool. You see, I was afraid to talk about money because I realized that I'm entering into people's idol factory caves where they have the idols up on the wall, but in reality, those things are fake anyway. We can walk in there and say, y'all, it's just a tool. This isn't some scary, like, ooh, topic, right? It just is what it is. It's a tool by which we are on earth. And when we're careful with it, because we know like other good things, they could become a God thing and they could be worshiped. But when we're careful with it and we put it in its right place, then we can enjoy it for what it's worth and we can find purpose from God in the midst of it. And so as a tool, I would say we can ask, when the Bible highlights something like 10% as a good baseline, does that rub us the wrong way? Like it's a tool. It's testing our heart, right? Hey, do we become robotic in the midst of this or do we become tempted to try to find ways and exegete ways around that so that we don't have to do that? Or is it a helpful way for us to think about how we can worship God? If we can test our strength, if you will, then this actually allows us to move in humility within all of this. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 23 with me. In this passage, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And in Matthew chapter 23, for those of us who are like, tithing ain't in the New Testament. Let me show you something real quick. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
For you tithe the mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now look, we're going to skip the fact that Jesus was going ham on these dudes. That's for another day, all right? But people got this like hippie Jesus and they had, look, Jesus could turn hood real quick, y'all. Like, he won't all the smoke, all right? He ain't afraid of it. But notice, Jesus here says, you should be tithing or giving out of obedience. Now, I want you to realize there's something way more important at hand. When we talk about justice and mercy, when we talk about the gospel and grace, like, those are the things I want you to do, Pharisees, but you should be doing those, not forsaking these either. I want you to do both. Do one without neglecting the other. Jesus is saying here, I want your obedience and I want your heart. You see, I don't want one at the cost of the other. I want your strength and your heart, your obedience and your sacrifice, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want all of you because I am God. But not only am I God that is worthy, I am also a God that is giving. And when you give all of yourself to me, you just receive life back anyway. You see, this is our God. And so tithing can be a benchmark to our obedience, not to be enslaved by, by any means, but it's a great tool to ask the questions of our motivation in our heart towards God. Y'all tracking with me here? When speaking about generosity, Michael Fletcher, who is a pastor and an author, he says this. He says, generosity is more than giving away a lot of our money. Generosity is a disposition of the heart. Generous people People who are generous with their time, forgiveness, love, wisdom, finances, kindness, and joy are well-loved and never lack friends because they are others-oriented, or I would say they're following Christ. You see, here's the deal, friends. When we give financially or in any of these areas, it begins to provoke the rest as well. Our obedience to one creates obedience to others, or our sacrifice for one brings joy to the others as well. We should be generous. And my argument would be, if you lack it here, I bet you lack it in some of those other areas as well. In fact, I find the people who are most generous financially are actually generous in pretty much every area of their life at large. God is calling towards something that will actually bring us life anyway. Let me say this. If you've caught nothing, I want you to catch this next two minutes here, okay? Or if you were like, I don't know if I agree with that, cool, whatever, we could talk offline. But I want you to catch this. This is part of the reason why God calls for our obedience in giving, not because he needs the money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the heart of man. He can turn man's heart and do whatever he pleases in this. So he does not need our money, but he does not want us to be owned by money. And when we're generous, we unlock the shackles that money tends to have on our emotions and on our soul, and we realize what is actually important. You see, obedience here, consistency here, discipline here, it produces obedience and discipline in other areas of the Christian life as well. Generosity here provokes generosity in other places, and it helps us to become who God is calling us to be. That's why God calls us to give. Listen, God does not need you to give. You need you to give. You see, it isn't for him, it's for you. He owns the entire world. So he wouldn't be telling us to do something as if he is needy. Our God lacks nothing. 
This is not for him, it is for our temptress hearts that frequently tempt us to worship other things. And when we allow money to control our thoughts or our mind or our emotions, we naturally begin to worship it. And when we worship it and it doesn't provide us with what we need, then we get discouraged and we lose joy and we lose the life that God longs to give to us in the first place. God is for our life. God's motivation for giving is not his need or even his church's need. He bled for the church. Do you not think he would provide for them physically? God's motivation is your life. In fact, Malachi chapter three, verse eight, you can look at this, it'll be on the screen as well. God says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now look, that's a heavy passage. Let's keep it real. But I want to give to you is what God says in this. We can look at the idea of curse and go, whoa, and miss the idea of blessing that's actually found in this, y'all. God is desiring to give to us. He says, I don't want you to be enslaved by money, and so you need to release it. But when you release it, watch me pour down upon you in every way that you would have ever thought possible. That ain't prosperity gospel either, by the way. In fact, the New Testament also proclaims this very directly. We'll talk about that next week. It's really just a way to trust God. And so obedience is necessary. Obedience creates obedience in other areas. God desires this not for his sake, but for your sake, family. I think back to when I was in college, coming out of that prosperity gospel church, it kind of twisted money in an awkward way, but it did instill in me the importance of giving and the benefit that comes with that. And I went to college to play football. I got hurt three days in. And so when you're on the football team, that's like your job because you get a scholarship and other shady things, okay? And so when I lost my means of income, receiver for even a small college like Bowling Green, I was like, yo, I'm broke. I need some money. And so I started applying to all these jobs. And literally one day in church, they passed the offering plate, and it was like the fourth week in a row that I was unable to give. And I got like really discouraged, y'all. Now this is gonna sound like I'm being super holy. I'm not, it was genuinely my heart. I just wanted to give. And as it passed by, I'm like, dog, I wanna be a part of this as well. And so I had applied for multiple jobs and I went home and I was like, man, God, would you please give me a job? Well, I opened my computer, I applied for a job, and then literally, like, 45 minutes later, that job, they called me, they're like, yo, can you do an interview today in, like, two hours? And I was like, yeah, dope, I can. And so I came in, they were like, yo, let's offer you this job, and it was a management-level job, which means it paid more. And I was like, look at God, won't he do it? And then they were like, oh, wait a minute, are you a freshman? And I was like, yeah, they're like, oh, freshmen can't be managers throughout our university. And I was like, oh, and then some guy peeked his head out and he was like, hey, yo, say he's a sophomore. <laughs> and I was like, bet. <laughs> so somehow I was a sophomore, I got that job, all right? 
And I was able to give and I felt so excited about it. But you know how like when uh, you uh, uh, like get a new job and they withhold the first paycheck for whatever reason? I don't understand that practice. Some accountant understands that. But they're like, yo, you're going to get paid four weeks from now. So I'm like, cool. And I went in. I was so excited. We were at church the next week. I pulled out my little money and I put it in the offering plate. And I was like, uh, <laughs> holy, right? And it was encouraging, y'all, straight up. It was encouraging to give to the church that was feeding me already so much. And then I went home that night and I was like, oh, snap. I got a Sprint bill that's due. Now look, Sprint used to be playing your boy, all right? <laughs> Sprint used to be expensive as death, all right? And so I went in, I looked at it, and it was like 60-something bucks, y'all. This is like 15 years ago, right? That's a lot of money. And so I'm like, yo, like, I don't know how to pay this because I had $32.17 left and I put it all into the offering just out of excitement that like, man, God gave me a job. Now I'm finally able to give. And then in comes the Sprint bill that's due in one day, ironically. And so I was like, dog, what am I supposed to do? It's $63.16. And I had, you know, a little girly girl at the time. I was trying to call her and I was like, she gonna break up with me if I can't call her. God, please help me, right? (laughs) (laughs) She ain't my wife, so whatever, anyway, all right. But the Lord, I feel like, man, I was just praying and praying, and I was like, whatever, maybe we're supposed to break up. My my, my cell phone bill finna get cut off, all right? And then the next night I called her, hung up. Next night I called her, and I was like, yo, they ain't shut it off. Like, all right, maybe the Lord providing a way. And I went online, and I saw the balance was zero. And I was like, yo, what is up with that? And I went to my Chase account, and I was like, oh, my God. They overdrafted in this mug, right? And now I owe money here as well. And so I go in, and I'm looking. It's at zero, and I'm like, ah, I'm about to pay all this money. And then I look, and there's a deposit in my account for $62.16, the exact amount for my cell phone bill. Now I'm looking at it, and the money didn't come in yet and I didn't deposit anything, and nobody had access to my banking account, but even if they did, how would they have known how much I needed for the Sprint phone in the first place? Somehow, the money was just in there, and to know that I wasn't capping on this, I tried to scroll back down through my Chase account because I still have that account, and I saw somehow that bad boy got deposited. Now, this is actually the principle of the scripture, that when you give, God will always give back to you in return. Now, I would think that that story was capped if I didn't hear that story 75 times from a bunch of other people that have the exact same experience, where God comes through at the very last moment for them as they seek obedience and honoring God. Now, don't miss this though, y'all, because God didn't increase my wallet size there. I had zero dollars left. He increased my faith. And that faith was a far larger deposit than some cash could ever be because it has sustained me better and longer than dollars ever could. You see, giving was not for God there and it was not even for the church. Giving was for Tori. And when I gave, I realized that God is a better giver than I could ever be. And out of that obedience, I realized that he was responding to that and I have never lacked anything, y'all. 
Listen, when I first started in ministry, I made $20,000 a year. Yes, two zero 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 zero. I lived in Austin. That is impossible. The Lord kept providing through his people. When we planted, I made $36,000. That is impossible. God kept providing through his people. And as time has gone on, I've seen God provide in all of these different ways at sometimes activating the church that they would be a part of this as well and that they would be joyed in the midst of this. Giving was never for God, it was for me. Giving is not for God, it is for you. And so when he calls for your obedience family, realize what he's calling you towards. He's calling you not because of need, he's calling you because of your need, that you need to release this idol. And so maybe this is where we need to grow in. Maybe we're great with our minds or our hearts or our souls, but we lack in our hands. We lack in our strength. We don't really give out of obedience. I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider what that would look like. In fact, at the end of the series, we're going to do something in week five called Commitment Sunday. And if you go to the wellaustin.com slash generosity, there's all these resources that you can have. All the little things I showed you today, they're all up there. So if you were furious taking notes, my bad, I should have told you at first, you can find them there, right? But we're going to do this thing called Commitment Sunday, and what we want to do is we want to commit how we can grow as a church in some of these areas, and for some of us, this might be the area where we want to grow just in more obedience to God. Maybe we're giving 1%, and we kind of risk it, and we go up to 4%, or maybe we're giving 1% or zero, and we actually just take a big step of faith and go, I'm going to try to give 10, and I'm going to see what God does and see if that Malachi verse is true. It is. He always proves himself faithful in here. We're also going to give to a vision fund as well. And so maybe we already give and we want to give a little bit more. We'll talk about this more particularly next week as well. But we want to give over and above too. Maybe we're already obedient in our giving, but we want to continue to give more. We're giving to our largest need, our largest focus, our largest vision, and where we want to have the largest impact this year. We'll break those down more next week as well. But I just want you to know that that is coming in a few weeks. And so I want you to know, if you are lacking in giving, then you are withholding from you. God's not withholding. The church is not withholding. You are chaining yourself. And so release those chains. In groups, we'll talk about how we can grow more here. And look, y'all, let's take off the cheesy, condemning, facade, fake Christian performance. All of us can grow, all right? For me, to be real with you, I don't lack in obedience, as I just told you in the story. In fact, Natalie and I, we try to increase our giving by 0.5% to 1% every year. And we were at 16%, then the elders gave us an increase. Now we slid down to 13%, which means we got to give that much more because this is what we desire to do. Our obedience is hidden. And within that, I would say our mind is hidden. But my heart and my soul are often missing on this. And so next week when I preach on the heart, I want you to know, like I had to repent at the start, I'm letting you know that I'm coming in weak here, but I trust the scriptures as well. And I want to sit under the scriptures with you. We all can grow in this, and we all can grow in different areas. But throughout this series, I want to show a couple of different videos, both to honor and to bless people where their strengths are, because here's the realness in our diversity. All of us are strong or weak in different areas. That is true culturally. That is true socioeconomically. That is true in our spiritual gifts. That's true here as well. 
And so we want to honor and highlight people who are actually doing a really good job in their giving. So we have a video of one of our covenant members, Anisha. She's awesome. Got to do her wedding a few weeks ago. We want to show you what she thinks when she thinks about obedient giving. So let's watch this together. My name is Anisha Lawrence. I've been attending The Well since 2017. I faithfully serve on the Connections team, and my um, new husband and I, Jerry Pointer, we co-lead the um, Slaughter Manchac CG. So I first heard about The Well. Um, I had moved to Austin, um, and first actually initially lived in North Austin and was attending Hill Country Bible Church. And then um, I moved to South Austin and was looking for another church and um, looked online and saw The Well and um, was just interested in checking it out and have been going ever since. So when I think about the different motivations for giving, I would say the one I most identify with is giving out of my strength. I see myself as an obedient giver. I've been a Christian my whole life, and so especially growing up in a Christian home and growing in a Christian school, it was shared a lot with me about the importance of giving and how um, God encourages us to give out of our, our time, our talents, and our treasures. And so it was also something that from the moment I had my first job, I was regularly giving to the church. and. I think on a regular basis is something that I just started to do as a habit and became a, a part of a spiritual discipline for me. So I'd like to grow in a way of um, giving with my mind because especially being a newlywed and as Jerry and I kind of combine our um, our incomes together and thinking about our own goals and our and our dreams and what's most important to us, we both love the well and want to continue to, to give within the church. Um, the fact that um, during the pandemic, we weren't able to meet together and they were able to quickly pivot and put together these really incredible videos for us to follow along and watch the sermon. And so the guided gatherings, like those were a huge blessing for me and I know so many others. And so just to be part of a church that is able to think creatively and still kind of connect with church congregation in a way that is able to really reach people, um, that's exciting to be a part of. So being an obedient giver, I think I can struggle with giving only the 10% or whatever the minimum amount is and feeling like that's it. And it can just be something I do on a regular basis and not really have a heart behind it. And so um, that can be a struggle for me or even giving just that when God might be calling me to give more. I mean, I guess I would say that I see the gospel modeled out in my giving in the way that Christ was so generous to us. And so he gave out of abundance, not only giving his life for us, but the fact that while he was here on earth, he often would you know, make detours and change his plans just because he saw the needs of people, their spiritual needs and their physical needs. And so just his generosity in that. And so that's something that I want to do more so rather than just you know, give out of what's expected or what the minimum is or um, what I've done in the past. I want to be just mindful of of what God's calling me to do and to give out of a generous spirit, to give with my heart and to find joy in that and to find delight in that and use it as an act of worship. And I think that's something too that when I when I tithe, I don't normally see it um, as worship, even though it is. And so just really even not only thanking God for what he's given me um, to have a job, to have the resources to be able to to give, to be able to partner with our church, to be able to help others, to give out of excitement and joy and, and to see the fruits of that too. And that's something that I really loved about being at the well is I can, I really feel confident in the ways that in which our tithing is going. And it's been a blessing in my own life and just seeing the kind of the ripple effects of how my giving has been able to help the church. Yeah, y'all can clap for a sister day. Mm -hmm. Look, y'all, I want to I close this and what she just led us through as well, this gospel idea. 
In fact, if you go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, it'll be on the screen there as well. But I want you to think about this. Like, like look at that and then think about our Jesus. You see, Anisha said that God has given out of his abundance as well. And that is just very, very true. God has also given out of his obedience. You see, Jesus was obedient to the law, to perfection. And because of that obedience and his willingness to give to us, that is how you and I are saved. In fact, Jesus gave above and beyond. If, if God said, hey, uh, you can only give 10% of your blood, then only about 100 of y'all getting into the kingdom. But Jesus poured out all of it. And he gave all of it. It wasn't, what do I have to do is what do I get to do? And John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave. And here in this passage as well, I want you to know, family of God, that Jesus was the first brother that went out ahead of us, did he not? You see, Jesus also arranged the gift in advance, just as he had promised to do. He was faithful in his obligation and in his obedience because this wasn't transactional. It wasn't mandatory. It wasn't an exaction, a burdensome requirement that he had to do. It was a chance to display his affection and his love for you, his willingness, his readiness to redeem you, family of God. You see, God was willing and he gave and now we're saved. And so we don't just give a little bit of our time or talents or try to figure out what we can withhold. Our lives are offerings to God now. Because if we're a gospel people, we realize what the gospel has done for us and we respond in light of that. And it no longer becomes a burden of how much I have to or a law that we gotta keep or a liberty that we can avoid. It is a response to what Jesus has done for us. Today was the what. Throughout the series, we'll be focusing on the why and the how as well. And as we increase our generosity as a church, I'm excited to see how God's kingdom also increases through us. Amen? Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Thanks for journeying in a tough topic, but I pray a topic that will change the world. Let me give you one vision as we pray. My vision is, is that as a young church, most of us in here being like under 40 by far, if we get this now, what we give will literally impact generations to come. You see, if we're not just at 1% when we're 25, but if we're at 10%, then think about how much that changes eternity, y'all. And so that's our prayer for this series, that it doesn't just bless the well, it actually blesses the kingdom for generations to come. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your gifts. Father, I thank you for the gift of your son that you so loved the world that you gave. God, I pray for those in here today that may be wrestling with who you are and Jesus with what it means to be a follower of Christ. Friends, I want you to know that though you can give and though this is still applicable and though I believe that the principles of scripture would still apply to your life, that as you're generous, you receive joy and blessing in the midst of it. I want you to know there's something way more significant for you today. Before God wants us to give to him, God gave himself to us. And he gave us his son that we would have life eternal. God is not the one that is in need, we are. And so he gave us the gift of his son that if we believe we can be saved, we can live forever life eternal. And God, for those of us who have accepted that gift, the grace you're offering to us, I pray that we would respond and offer ourselves to you as well. 
I pray we would give our time, our talents, our treasures, our heart, strength, our souls, and our mind, God. That we would give to you out of a response, God. Not as a duty, not out of obligation, God. But because we see it as an act of worship. In fact, God, I pray that even in this last song that we sing here in a moment, that we sing it as an act of worship. We give our voices to you that we give ourselves to you and sing to you, thanking you for what you have done for us. We love you, Christ. God, I pray straight up that our church would give more. Uh, That wouldn't just bless the well, though, man, we desire that. We want to do really big things in the kingdom. I actually pray that would bless the kingdom, God. That whether or not people are here, even just a year from now, that what happens throughout the series would impact the kingdom for generations to come. God, we love you, we thank you, we praise things in your blessed name. Amen.